Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.40 a.m. Central Daylight Time on Wednesday, the 28th of August, 2019. This is episode 132 of Bitcoin I think today we're going to do a little bit of cooking, but not like not like you think. I'm not going to be talking about grilling. I'm going to be talking about something else. We'll do vitals, and I got a song for you guys as usual, so we'll do that. And we really need to kick this whole thing off with Eric Wall. <clears throat> at ERCWL on Twitter. He has been deep in the weeds trying to sync an Ethereum full node, or or, or I think it's actually called an archival node. Uh, It's like, I guess, as far as the Ethereum stuff goes, it's the granddaddy node of them all that that is, I guess, equivalent to a Bitcoin full node. But he's he's having some problems, uh, and so this thing is he is now on day sixteen of trying to sync this node, and I'm not going to go through this entire uh, tweet thread that he's got on it. But this one kind of struck struck me. Um, so let's just let's just let's get it. He says Ethereum syncing diary day sixteen blocks synced up to April the 9th. 2019 blockchain size 154 gigabytes synced 39 days yesterday 28 days today a new milestone was hit parity has written 25 terabytes to disk now so my new mac has now had its ssd overwritten 25 times can i 25 terabytes of disk writing. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Honestly, guys, I don't know how they do it. I really don't. And with the, with their blockchain becoming uh, scathingly close to full and uh, then I, I don't know what the future of, of that whole shit show is. But if you've got heavy bags of Ethereum, you might, I don't know, consider releasing them. Aaron Von Wordham is writing for uh, Bitcoin Magazine, uh, August the 26th. Chain analysis, most mixed Bitcoin not used for illicit purposes. So apparently we're not all degenerate criminals, I guess. He, he says, if chain analysis is right, only a small fraction of coins sent to and from Bitcoin mixers are used for illicit purposes. Keep in mind, guys, how they keep in track. Uh, have that in the back of your head. 
when you're when we go through this. In a recent webinar titled Cryptocurrencies Type Cryptocurrency Typologies, what you should know about who's who on the blockchain, the blockchain analytics firm suggested that users of mixing services mostly leverage the option for privacy reasons. Many darknet users, in contrast, send their coins directly from exchanges. That said, while they come from a small minority of all users of mixing services, a large fraction of stolen coins do end up getting mixed. Quote, a lot of people are using mixers just for personal privacy, explained Hannah Curtis, senior product manager of data at Chainalysis during the webinar. Quote, but we do know that a lot of illicit funds do end up at mixers. The Chain Analysis webinar presented a broad overview of blockchain use cases, which included blockchain analysis of mixers and dark markets, also, but also mining pools, ICOs, hosted wallets, ransomware, and more. One of the perhaps more surprising conclusions is that Bitcoin mixers, both centralized and decentralized versions, appear to be used much more often for privacy purposes than for illicit activity. Specifically, Chainalysis believes that 8.1% of all mixed coins were stolen, while only 2.7% of coins that have been used on the dark markets. As such, less than one in every nine coins sent to mixers could be identified as having been used for illicit purposes. Additionally, 1.9% of mixed coins came from gambling or betting sites, which could be illegal depending on the jurisdiction of the users and the sites. In contrast, almost half of all mixed coins were sent from exchanges. This includes 40% from traditional exchanges and 7.7% from peer-to-peer exchanges. Over a quarter of mixed coins came from other mixers. It is worth noting, however, that while 8.1% of stolen coins represents a minority of all mixed coins, it does represent a large fraction of all stolen coins. That is to say, most stolen coins are mixed. While chain analysis did not go into detail, it appears that centralized mixers receive a bigger share of coins used in illicit activity than decentralized mixers. For example, Best Mixer, a centralized mixer that was shut down by law enforcement early in 2019, did receive a lot of coins of which the origin of destination could be identified as illicit. The service mixed over 27,000 coins. Chainalysis noted that decentralized mixers like Wasabi Wallet have seen exponential growth this year, where the wallet mixed around $10 million worth of Bitcoin in the first months of 2019. This had grown to about $90 million in August of 2019. In total, Wasabi Wallet mixed $250 million worth of Bitcoin in 2019, according to Chainalysis. It should be noted that Chainalysis categorized Wasabi Wallet as decentralized because users run the wallet software locally and possibly because users mix coins directly with each other. Wasabi Wallet's mixing infrastructure is, in actuality, centralized, though trustless. I think that's a matter of opinion. But while Chainalysis is able to tell which coins are sent to and from mixers... The webinar confirmed that the service is unable to follow the trail of coins as they move through mixing services. So, I, don't, you know, right there, that's what I was talking about. Keep it in the back of your mind about what, what they're actually saying. Finding the coins that go to the mixer, yeah, I get that. But they got mixed. So, not exactly sure what chain analysis is getting at, but just, guys, be aware that... This is is going on. Quote, we we can identify uh, funds, uh, sorry, we can identify funds going into services, including mixing services, Curtis said. A common misconception is that one can trace the path of funds through a service. In other words, mixing works. 
The chain analysis webinar also detailed where coins moving to dark net, dark net markets are sent from. Once again, the fraction of coins sent from mixers appear relatively low. Interestingly, more than half of all Bitcoin moving to these digital black block markets, 54.8%, are simply sent from regular exchanges. Another 23.5% are sent from peer-to-peer exchanges. Only 0.5% of coins were sent from mixing services. The chain analysis webinar touched on recent events around one dark market in particular. After a wave of shutdowns earlier this year, Nightmare Market had emerged as one of the biggest markets on the dark net in recent months. Around mid-July 2019, however, the market was seemingly hacked through the website itself, though the website itself claimed a disgruntled employee was causing havoc. Mm -hmm. The market went offline soon after, in turn feeding rumors that the market's operators ultimately decided to pull an exit scam. Whatever happened, the alleged hacker or disgruntled employee leaked statistics on Nightmare Market showing that the website had hosted over $22 million worth in sales and over $300,000 of daily sales near its peak. The market had approximately 80,000 customers and for uh, sorry, for whom the preferred model of payment was Bitcoin with Monero as a favored privacy coin. So, yeah, there you go. It's just you know, it there there's again Coin being able to map where coins are coming from and then going to a mixer. Yes, I can see it being able to say that you can't follow the mixing procedure really doesn't make sense alongside the statement that they can say how they can still find coins coming from the the mixer. I think I'm getting this one wrong as far as the wording is concerned, because I mean, yes, you can tell that a coin came from a mixer, but if it was if it was mixed well, then you don't know you can't tell the difference between all you know is that these coins came from wasabi. So I, I again the statement in this in the story from Bitcoin magazine that mixing works, I'm I'm going with I'm going with that one. So anyway, uh, on up into the stack, the block writing August the 27th. Uh, says Kraken OTC serves institutional clients managing billions despite slow growth among Wall Street counterparties. Kraken, over-the-counter over the trading head Nelson Minier, said the desk is engaging with more mature financial firms, but not as quickly as he had anticipated. Though the desk now trades with hedge funds that manage billions, it's taken time to grow interest from those sorts of players, and the growth continues to be something of a slog, Minier said on the latest episode of The Scoop. Minier declined to mention specific funds, but he did say that the company serves some funds as large as five to 20 billion. That's with the B as part of a effort to court additional hedge fund businesses. Kraken's desk uh, bought someone over to cover institutional sales. And though he was connected like a freight train, according to Minier, he struggled to build the client base quote. Now that's changing and now it's changing slowly. It's slower than I would want to believe. But many are said Bitcoin is the asset they're looking for. Many just haven't come around to it yet. He calls it the holy grail of portfolio management. The historic returns should be a draw, according to Minier, but many managers are wary of crypto's purportedly high risk. Quote, these guys should be killing themselves <laughs> to put this in their portfolios. But the problem is that they have cons- uh, constituents that they have to pander to, which is the investors and people still think this is a joke and it's going to zero, many years said. So <laughs> there you go. And this this should, you know, 
it really shouldn't surprise anybody that this is going to take time. We always talk about low time preference. Don't get into having high time preference. Be patient. Just be patient. Okay, let's see here. Um, Let's see. A report from Quadriga bankruptcy trustee uh, published Monday says multiple law enforcement and regulatory agencies are investigating the failed exchange. So Quadriga is still in the news. It's still a zombie. It's probably going to be like Mount Gox. It's not, I don't think it'll reach the level of fame of Mount Gox, but it's probably going to maybe even eclipse the legal woes and the amount of crap these people are going to have to unwind to figure out what's going on at Quadriga. So it's still there. Um, Gold made it into the news for the first time in a while, Uh, this time twice. uh, Apparently, gold prices are hitting a, a 2019 high, which is a high for... I think the, over the all-time high for the last six years, something like that. But some other things happened too. So let's get into this one by Martin Young, writing for NewsBTC.com. This morning, gold price hits new six-year high, but fake bars may benefit Bitcoin. With political and economic tensions escalating, investments in safe haven assets such as gold are on the rise. The commodity has often been compared to Bitcoin, but in but a recent outbreak of fake bars clearly illustrates the glaring differences in the two asset classes. The sentiment driving gold prices this year is showing no sign of slowing down. Gold bug Peter Schiff uh, has been on in, has been on the news again, shilling his baby and extolling the virtues of hedging against central banks. According to charts on goldprice.org, the commodity has hit a new high of $1,545 per ounce today. It has now made over 20% this year and has reached its highest levels since March of 2013. In an interview with RT, Schiff stated that gold is not going to stop this time. He added that people are growing concerned about the central bank and federal reserve and the reaction to a possible reception that is a recession that is looming quote. They're worried about what the central banks and in particular, the federal reserve is going to do about the next recession. That's why the price of gold is going up because the fed is going to be going back to zero. They're going to be going back to quantitative easing. And all of this is good for gold end quote. What is good for gold is usually good for Bitcoin as it shares the same status as a global offshore safe haven asset immune from government and central bank meddling. Schiff added that the trade war has escalated the problem, but the U.S. economy is going into a recession regardless. The only way to limit the damage of a stock market crash would be to print more money and drop rates. Both are good for gold and BTC. What sets Bitcoin apart from gold is that it cannot be copied or forged and is completely immutable. According to Reuters, gold bars fraudulently stamped with the logos of major refineries are entering the market. These are being used to launder smuggled or illicit gold, making them ideal for narcotics traffickers or warlords. Regulators and politicians may want to revisit their anti-crypto rhetoric in light of this development since Bitcoin cannot be faked. The report added that around one in a thousand have been discovered in places such as vaults at J.P. Morgan, but there could be a lot more out there. Gold bugs such as Schiff continue to berate Bitcoin, claiming it will never be as good as his beloved yellow metal, but the bottom line is Bitcoin fixes this. Nice use of the meme in the news story, man. Good job, bro. All right, so Bitcoin Bitcoin full node fixes this. Uh, it's 
it's your way to ensure a lot of things. But one thing that it is very, very, you know, one thing that is, you know, clearly used for is to make sure that Bitcoin is Bitcoin. I mean, to be just clear as crystal, it's like it, the whole damn network revalidates and re-audits itself every 10 minutes. Every transaction ever is, is, is there. If some, if any kind of weird chicanery goes on, the network knows and the network is, is slow, stupid, solid as a rock. And it knows every single Bitcoin that is in existence right now is an actual Bitcoin, anything, any kind of chicanery and the network picks it up. So it's validating, it's auditing itself. It's doing all this stuff every 10 minutes. How long has this been going on with gold? How, how long have the fake bars of gold? And here's, here's the deal. It's not fake gold. It's these, these bars are, are supposedly being com- coming from these refineries, but they're coming from somewhere else. So they're counterfeit. The gold is real. It's not like tungsten. So don't think that the gold is actually real in this case. It's just, it's, it's actually there. I just learned this term today. It's called conflict gold. So this gold is coming from refineries that are refining gold to a good purity, you know, a, a marketable purity, but the gold is coming from places that I, maybe it's stolen and melted. Maybe it's something to do with war, whatever. So you can't tell the difference between an atom of gold that was, that caused the death of its previous owner because it was stolen and the, an atom of gold that was quote unquote, ethically sourced. You can't tell. You can't tell the difference. In Bitcoin, you can tell the difference. Bitcoin fixes this problem. All right, let's get on up into the stack. Oh yeah. Um, the Winklevi were on, we're talking about Bitcoin and, and, and cryptocurrency on the Today Show. Okay, so the Today Show in, in the United States, probably the largest, you know, the most watched morning show in the United States. And it's been that way for freaking forever. I mean, I, I grew up with the Today Show when I was a little kid. It's been around forever, just like me. And now they're, they've are they got the Winklevi on. So the word is spreading there. And it's also spreading to the United States Air Force, although they're going to get into some, some shit coinery here. Uh, Adrian Znutsky is writing for Cointelegraph, U.S. Air Force partners with blockchain big data management platform. This is two hours ago. He says the United States Air Force has partnered with blockchain big data management startup Constellation. According to a Constellation press release published on August the 27th, the startup signed a working contract with the USAF. The United States Air Force better explains the scope of the partnership in the following statement. Quote, Air Force Research Laboratory and AFWorks have partnered to streamline the small business innovation research process in an attempt to speed up the experience, broaden the pool of potential applicants, and decrease bureaucratic overhead. Yeah, uh, you don't need blockchain for this, guys. VP of Business Development at Constellation, ben- Benjamin Diggles, 
who's responsible for the partnership, further notes that the UASF, USAF has many data sources that need to be secured, such as drones, planes, and satellites. He also adds that clean and consolidated data that can be queried instantly <laughs> is a big need within the defense apparatus. Well, if you need to query it instantly, blockchain's probably not right for you. So... Uh, whatever data from different sources are disconnected complex or requires significant manpower to handle forensics planning and collection constellation says it can provide a scalable and decentralized secure data management platform that can be integrated with both legacy and future data types the company also claims quote Constellation provides decentralized security not only to Air Force data pipelines with encryption, but also creates audit trails and a live overview of the status of any data source. As Cointelegraph reported yesterday, the UAS, I keep saying that, user activated software, the USAF, United States Air Force, also partnered with smart contract startup SimbaChain to provide the blockchain-based platform that will be used to secure its supply chain. So militarized shit coinery coming in. Let's see what else we got going on. Oh, this is a this is by Max uh, Yukabowski writing for Cointelegraph. And this was yesterday. Is Bitcoin protected as speech under the First Amendment experts answer? So the way I'm going to handle this one is just read the first paragraph and then the experts stuff so that we can because the rest of it doesn't need to be talked about. There is a concept that exists in the crypto space that effectively states Bitcoin is code, code is speech, and speech is protected under the United States law. We asked legal experts in digital rights, the First Amendment, and crypto to comment on the statement. All right, now what, what that is is that a, lo- a while back, uh, encryption, uh, specifically the exporting of any code that would allow encryption to occur in the hands of somebody not a United States citizen, it was, it was deemed a munition and you would go to prison. Now, a court case, this was uh, Bernstein versus the United States. Um, It looks like this was at the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that software source code was speech protected by the First Amendment. So this hasn't necessarily gone to the Supreme Court. And uh, that one uh, is is touched on by this first uh, legal expert, Lata Knott. She's the executive director, First Amendment Center Freedom Forum Institute. She says, although some courts have recognized code of speech, the Supreme Court hasn't weighed in on this, so I wouldn't call this a settled area of law. Personally, I think that code can be used to express and communicate ideas and therefore can be viewed as a form of free speech. But whether that speech is protected by the First Amendment is a different question. Not every type of speech is. For example, if you threaten someone's life or hire a hitman, you are certainly engaging in an act of speech, but the First Amendment won't protect it. There are times when speech becomes conduct, when it's more than just an expression of an idea but constitutes an action, and that's usually when the government can regulate it. Using code to create a video game could be considered an act of expression protected by the First Amendment. Using code to launch denial-of-service attacks probably wouldn't be. Using the blockchain to donate money to a political cause could be protected by the First Amendment, but using it to implement a smart contract might not be. Now, Alex Abo, litigation director at the Knight First Amendment Institute at Columbia University, says this. Is Bitcoin speech 
with within the meaning of the First Amendment? Probably not in the way that some appear to be arguing. The argument is that because code is speech and because Bitcoin is code, Bitcoin is speech. The problem with this argument is that code is only sometimes protected from regulation as free speech, namely when the regulation affects the use of code as a form of expression. But code generally isn't protected from regulation that targets its use as a machine. For example, Congress generally cannot prevent computer sciences from exchanging code to express their algorithmic ideas, but Congress can regulate the maximum speed of cars, even if doing so requires car makers to change the code used to set that speed. I don't think these people, I mean, I I think they, they know what they're talking about on the legal side, but I don't think they have a real strong grasp of what Bitcoin actually is and what can and cannot be changed or, or done. So uh, Sheila Warren says, leaving IP protections for code and their First Amendment implications aside, the really fascinating question is whether anonymous payments should be protected under free speech doctrine. There's a pretty robust history in the United States of prosecuting payment systems going back in recent times to the Hawala prosecutions after the Patriot Act were (coughs) were passed and on to Liberty Reserve. In a post-Citizens United world, however, we've pretty much decided, or the Supreme Court has decided, that money is essential to speech. And there's no question that the giving of money is a critical element of political participation, as established in 1976 in Buckley v. Valio. But we, but do we really want a society where the sanction, <clears throat> where we sanction the even more anonymous funding of politics? So she doesn't really answer the question, but. Robert Robert Corn Revere. I, sh- I swear to God, his name's Robert Corn hyphen Revere. So the corn says the syllogism is is tempting. The code of speech, speech is protected by the US, U.S. Constitution, therefore blockchain is protected by the First Amendment. But so far, there is no clear answer for how far U.S. courts will go in accepting this logic. This is because it ties into a longstanding debate over First Amendment protection for free for speech versus action, and this can get complicated when the two overlap in the form of communicative conduct, such as burning a draft card or a flag in protest. And the final one is Vinny Lingham. He's weighing in. So, uh, yeah, I'm not even, no, 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 I can't. Because Vinny, no, I'm just not. Carol Goforth says, while I am not a constitutional law scholar, it is my opinion that there is merit to the statement, although it probably does not mean what the author hopes. Commercial speech is absolutely protected under the First Amendment, and I am happy to assume that code being put out by crypto developers and entrepreneurs could fit within the scope of that rule. However, this does not mean that there is an absolute right to release and discuss such code free of regulation. In very general terms, commercial speech that is false, misleading, or relates to illegal activities such as money laundering or the funding of criminal enterprises or with the purpose of defrauding potential purchasers. What's nice is that, this is me, what's nice is she didn't say terrorism. Thank you, Carol, for not wrapping the the present with terrorism wrapping paper. Anyway, so relating to illegal activity is not really protected by the First Amendment because there is no legitimate interest in providing listeners with that kind of information. Mark Limley is the last guy. While software can be expressive and is sometimes protected as speech, it can also function. So it is properly subject to significantly more regulation than true speech. Regulation of cryptocurrencies as currencies or securities aren't regulating them for their expressive content, but for their function. 
The First Amendment won't block that regulation any more than it would protect the site that posted hacked passwords. The passwords are speech, but speaking isn't what is being regulated. So there's some interesting there's some interesting uh, knowledge being dropped by these guys as to the narrative that we've been telling ourselves about uh, you know PGP as code. Uh, it was determined in the you know ninth uh, you know ninth. Circuit Court of Appeals in the Bernstein case that it is free speech and blah, 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 and that we're all going to be okay. We should all always remain vigilant as to what's going on. We should be especially vigilant, vigilant to shifting narratives and bubbling ourselves inside of one narrative. It may be a situation where this goes to the Supreme Court if something triggers a court case that would be deemed worthy by the Supreme Court to, to, for it to come across that bench. I think it is free speech. That's my, my opinion, but I'm not a lawyer. You know, I'm just, just a guy, just, you know, standing in front of an audience, whatever. Um, not, not a, I'm not a lawyer, but I think it is free speech, but these guys make some points and the one takeaway point is, is that not only is the code words, it performs a function. But like the reason I think it's going to be protected free speech is that if if I write a paper, it's going to perform a function. It has it should have lo- a logical laid out uh, argument, otherwise known as an algorithm. And it can be it can be looked that way. So. The whole takeaway here is that Bitcoin is not only code, it does something. It is a machine. And whether or not these guys' opinions are going to matter in the long run, I don't think is is as important as how much heavier do we need to make this machine before these arguments just basically fade and go away. So, But again, be ever, ever, ever vigilant. David Babayan is writing for newsbtc.com uh, sometime this morning. A Bitcoin stock, or sorry, self-sufficient London Bitcoin stock swells by 300%. A Bitcoin stock listed on the London Stock Exchange has soared by 300% to hit its 11-month high. Shares of UK-based Argo blockchain PLC Today established a year-to-date peak of $10.96 a share, bringing its maximum yearly gains close to 328%. At its weakest, the stock was trading at $2.54 in February 2019, down 85% from its first day's opening rate of $17 a share. Not bad. The latest surge surfaced out of a strategic investment Argo purchased 1,000 Bitmain Z11 amp miner machines in April 2019. They went into production a month later and, as of today, had delivered a 100% payback on Argo's investments. Quote, based on current mining margins, Argo is well ahead of schedule to recoup the cost of its 2,267 S17 amp miner machines purchased in April and May of 2019 and which have been in production since May and June. The total returns recorded from the commencement commencing date of machines operations until press time were about 200%. The Argo profits strongly coincided with the rise in Bitcoin prices as noted on regulated spot exchanges. 
<clears throat> on April the 2nd, 2019, the BTC USD exchange rate began what would later become the pair's extended rebound, surging from 4,130 to as high as 13,868 in just two months. The price boom reflected a growing demand for Bitcoin adjacent, or against a string of macroeconomic catalysts, including U.S.-China trade war, weakening China's renminbi, and the launch of Facebook's cryptocurrency project Libra. In the meantime, Argo was participating in the running of a Bitcoin network via its new Bitmain mining machines, the process of validating and adding blocks to the blockchain, returned them with Bitcoin incentives, which they later sold on the free market at higher rates. That allowed Argo to accelerate its returns and eventually establish a no-profit, no-less scenario this August. Mike Edwards, the executive chairman of Argo, said their company is now planning to expand its operations further, believing favorable market sentiments would continue to return higher profits in the future. Our decision to move fast, oh, sorry, this is a quote, our decision to move fast with a major expansion of mining infrastructure is reaping strong returns much earlier than expected. I am confident the strategy will continue to pay off long-term, stated Mike. The statement came a month after Argo announced that it would install 7,000 additional state-of-the-art mining machines in its facility located in Quebec, Canada. The company said it would make those Bitcoin mining rigs operational by the end of the fourth quarter of 2019, which we're just about to come into. As of July, Argo's existing rigs mined a total of 163 Bitcoin on each unit. The company made an 80% profit. Argo called it its best performance, noting that it made their mining operations the most fruitful across the world. So, yeah. Uh, so, you know, I just, I kind of think it's it's funny just how this whole industry kind of seems to be tracking with gold because you either buy gold or you mine gold or you buy stock in gold mining operations. It's sort of like the three main ways to, to be exposed to the gold markets. And here you're, you either mine it or you may, you buy it on the open market or work for it as a wage, or now you can buy stock in a Bitcoin mining operation. I, I think that's kind of spectacular. I would never do that. I would, I, I would rather just hold my own Bitcoin or, or make it in wages or something like that. Uh, instead of speculating with fiat in the legacy world, even though that I'm gaining exposure to Bitcoin that way, I don't want my Bitcoin filtered through the lens of bullshit fiat money. So there you go. Um, all right, let's see here. That That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Vital statistics on deck. Bitcoin, $10,224. We've got ourselves, uh, let's see, can't find the high, but the low, oh, wait, yeah. Low is going to be over at the hit BTC at 10214 336,000 transactions were made over the last 24 hours with an average transit with an average number of transactions per hour at 14,739 BTC have been sent over the last 24 hours. And that gives us uh, average being of uh, BTC being sent per hour of 30,000 uh, average transaction value is 2.2 BTC and the median transaction value is 0.028 BTC or right around 300 bucks us. 
block times are a little bit low, nine minutes and 48 seconds. It looks like 0.2 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis and 32.5 BTC have been taken in fees overall for the last 24 hours. We have a 1% increase in the last 24 hours of hash rate, bringing us to 71.57 exahashes per second. And it looks like the last GitHub commit was sometime this morning. Ethereum is at 187. Bcash is at 308. Litecoin is at 72. BSV is at 132. Ethereum Classic is at 6.9. Dogecoin is at 0.0026. That's kind of lower than I've seen it in a while. But with 23,500 transactions, Doge is walking all over Litecoin with 21,400. So there you go. Let's see what's going on with the mempool. Uh, looks like we are 10 blocks deep uh, at 11 megabytes in the mempool, uh, sitting on 16,000, about 17,000 unconfirmed transactions. Every block that I'm looking at is well over one megabyte. So that'll do it for your statistics. Yeah, I'm going to nerd out. We got Rick Springfield coming up for for this song. Yeah, that's right. The 80s rock and roll guy, Rick Springfield, who got his start in the music industry because he was already famous from being on a soap opera. Yeah, he was a... One of those pretty boys that was on like, I don't know, it was like Days of Our Lives or all, I can't remember what, what the, it was one of the major ones though. And he got famous and decided he didn't want to be a, an actor anymore and wanted to get into rock and roll. And you can say what you want about the guy. In so far that, yeah, pretty boy, pop music, it really wasn't rock. I mean, it you know, but he put out some hits, man. I mean, like freaking mega hits, a couple of them uh, in the like early, very early 80s. Um, and we're going to hear one of those hits today. But I wanted to do something a little bit special with this. He was in, I don't know if you guys know who the Foo Fighters are. The Foo Fighters is a band that that re, that kind of grouped itself together after the death of Kurt Cobain. And uh, the dissolution of Nirvana, the drummer, Dave Grohl, uh, formed Foo Fighters. And one of their sticks was when they'd go out on tour, uh, somehow or another, they'd hook up with some famous drummer or guitar player or singer or songwriter, you know, for their shows and, and get them up on stage as as a guest to play. And they would play one of their songs. The Foo Fighters would play like one of the songs of the guests. And it was, I, I always thought that was a great stick to have as far as, as a band, because it really connects the band with like the, the audience and, and their audience. And then also connects them with the audience of the, the guests that they're having up brilliant move. I don't know. I don't know if that was David's idea or not, but whoever it's, that's a brilliant idea. This, the first part of this song, you're going to hear the Foo Fighters, uh, Foo Fighters concert where they're, they've got Rick Springfield. And I wanted to play that because David Grohl makes probably the best statement ever about any, it like you can make fun of any artist you want, but if they've got a smash hit or smash runaway hit, you probably should shut up. Anyway, Dave, tell them what I'm talking about. Thank you very much. Thank you. 
Wait, I have one more. Oh, yeah? Uh, no shit. I think so. No shit. How's it going again? I don't know. You tell me. Now time for the daily train wreck, which is brought to you by OMG Coins. That's OMG Coins, and he says keys are not proof of ownership. 
If the court decides coins belong to Kleeman, they can order the miners to issue them to their rightful owner. God, the amount of people with crypto or Bitcoin or some other such shit in their moniker that don't know enough about Bitcoin to wad a shotgun is simply amazing. This guy demonstrates one of the biggest parts of ignorance in this space ever. I order the miners to issue them to their rightful. No, the rightful owner is the miner. Uh, you know, you guys know, um, you guys know, so I'm, I'm not going to get very much more into this, but all right. So what is he talking about? We, we got to do it guys. I mean, you know, it's coming and I shouldn't be doing it because we shouldn't be paying any attention to it, but it's such a circus. It's, it's actually has a little bit of entertainment value. William Suberg writing for Cointelegraph says Calvin Ayer falsely claims court ruled Craig Wright invented Bitcoin. <laughs> In a tweet on August the 28th, Ayer said that the judge presiding over Wright's recent court case decided he was Bitcoin's creator, Satoshi Nakamoto. Quote, it's nice timing to be out at the same time as Craig gets the Satoshi coins out of the Tulip Trust. Also good timing with judge just ruling Craig is Satoshi, the tweet stated. Wright was in court over alleged <clears throat> theft of $10 billion worth of BTC. The case concluded this week with Wright now obliged to pay the plaintiff the estate of former business partner Dave Kleeman half of the fortune. That's B5 billion dollars. Both Wright and Air tout BSV as the true version of Bitcoin and have tirelessly promoted the cryptocurrency, which has faced multiple technical and publicly and public sorry, publicity difficulties in its 10-month history. God, I keep forgetting how stupidly not old this is. Following Wright's downfall, Air remained an increasingly lone voice supporting him, but his latest claims were met by immediate pushback. Dude, all his claims are met by immediate pushback. This is nothing new. <sighs> Twitter users reference the text of the court judgment, which emphatically denies making a ruling over whether Wright is or is not Nakamoto. The text reads, quote, First, the court is not required to decide and does not decide whether defendant Dr. Craig Wright is Satoshi Nakamoto, the inventor of the Bitcoin cyber currency. <laughs> it is, in quote, it is thus unclear how Air arrived at his claim, which he made while advertising an upcoming book about Wright's recent difficulties. As Cointelegraph reported, questions now focus on how markets will cope with a $2 billion tax bill for Wright's penalty. Separate speculation focuses on Wright's ability to pay at all, and if he has access to private keys to the 500,000 Bitcoin stash. The court has accepted Wright's claim that he had access to the, to the coins with a document noting, quote, the court also is not required to decide and does not decide how much Bitcoin, if any, Dr. Wright controls today. The court accepts Dr. Wright's representation that he controlled directly or indirectly some Bitcoin on December 31st, 2013, and that he continues to control some today. So, yeah, that's where the circus is landing today. And yeah, air that Calvin guy. I mean, he's going to have to foot the bill. Here's the thing about that, that whole court case uh, that we were just talking, just, I was just reading you about um, when, when that happened, 
none of us when okay let me back up when that happened it was immediately clear that they were going to be liable for the court cost okay so dave clemens all hit the firm representing dave they're not going to be talking to dave anymore about who how they're going to get paid they're going to be looking at craig and they're going to be looking at calvin they're going to want their money and Dave is basically Dave Kleeman or not Dave. It's Ira Kleeman. It's Dave's brother, but the Kleeman estate is, is now free and clear of any court costs. Those court costs are going to be freaking expensive by any measure that is due to the company, which will probably want it in fiat. And it's due immediately. Those bills are due immediately. All this other fluff about Tax a two billion dollar tax bill for the Kleeman estate, not unless they get control of the coins, not not unless they actually get that money, and they're not going to get that money because Craig does not have control of those coins. That's clear. That's been clear. It's been clear for over two years. Probably, I think we're getting into three since the whole he made that that started coming out of the woodwork uh, with G- Gentleman's Quarterly interview. And a couple of recorded rants, and he was supposedly going to show, sign a message with his keys, and he he never did. He, he something to do with uh, <clears throat> a laptop that was backdated or or something. I can't remember. Somebody told me exactly what it was, and I can't remember it anymore. But it was all chicane, chicanery, hand waving, and smoke and mirrors. The man doesn't have control of the keys. If you don't have control of the keys, you don't have control of the coins. If you don't have the control of the coins, you can't move them. There's no way Craig has the ability to fork over half, you know, 500,000 Bitcoin to the, to the, uh, Kleeman estate. It's not going to happen. And any of these idiots that tell you differently, sorry, they're, 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 they're wrong, but not as wrong as the guy that thinks that miners can be ordered. I don't even know where that comes from. It's sick, but there's your smoldering pile over there in the corner. Whatever. All right. We're going to talk a little bit about cooking, but it's not, it, it is cooking, but it isn't cooking. We're going to talk about making pickles. Why? Well, I like to cook uh, and I like fermentation stuff. And my family goes through pickles like it's, you know, going out of style. I never really liked them. When I was a kid growing up, I couldn't stand pickles. It's just, oh God, now I eat pickles. Why do I eat pickles? I only eat kosher pickles and why kosher because those are that's the pickles that are made by actual fermentation and not dropping some cucumbers into vinegar you know like some apple cider vinegar and some spices and letting them sit in the fridge for like a week no 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 no. these are our room to these are are fermented at room temperature in a salt or rather a brine solution to protect it and bacteria Ooh, all kinds of lacto bacteria or lacto fermenting bacteria uh, do the work of 
getting the the cucumber into its phases pickle. Why? Why? Why is you know why would I only do that? Because of gut health. Um, as Americans or most you know a lot of the West now eats way more crap in terms of fiat food. I guess Safedine Amos would would call it fiat food, I suppose. Uh, but just really, really garbage food, highly processed sugar, you know, highly processed wheat, you know, in the form of breads and biscuits and, you know, cornbread. And I mean, I love corn. Don't don't get me wrong. I love me some cornbread, especially when it's slathered with like a whole bunch of butter. But the processed meat and, you know, be doesn't matter, beef, pork, chicken, the way that our food system right now is while it can feed a lot of people and it does. And I don't think it's actually, I was about to say that it's teetering on the brink of of disaster, but that's not, that's incorrect. It's, it's a juggernaut that seeks to kill every single one of us. One of the ways that you can combat that is to try to source good food, like local, local farm, fresh stuff, but that's hard. Nobody has time. You're going to end up at the grocery store. You're going to end up eating fiat food. So the second way to combat it is to make, at least make damn sure that your gut bacteria can process all of the crap that we eat. And one of the best ways to do that now, now your, if you didn't know that your gut is filled with more, probably your gut by itself. There's a larger population of bacteria there than all of the cells in your body. You were colonized at birth when you took your first breath. You were her- basically you were gestated in a hermetically sealed vessel, the woman's womb. When you came out into the world, you were no longer sterile. You you took your first breath. You became colonized with gut bacteria. It's the very first thing that happens. So you take your first breath. And then the bacteria, you know, basically get all down your windpipe and your your esophagus. And then you take that first swallow of spit. It gets into your stomach. It goes right into your gut. It's a clean, it's a clean slate. But after 24 hours or so, you're, you're, as a baby, you're colonized with gut bacteria. And thank God, because if it wasn't there, you would fall over dead. The gut bacteria make all manner of vitamins that we either can't make ourselves. We make vitamin C ourselves in our liver. In fact, healthy adult makes one gram of vitamin C every single day without doing nothing. Not so much with the rest of the vitamins. I think the B complex vitamins are the ones that we really need and we really don't make. And the gut bacteria makes it for us. Not only does it do that, it keeps things running, you know, moving along. Okay. So having good gut bacteria is important, but you know, you'd be saying, well, geez, Dave, if we've already got gut bacteria in there, then why do we need to eat fermented food? You need to complete, always replace the, not replace, but you need to always augment the genetic population by eating stuff that's got bacteria on it, yogurt, pickles all and and you can you can ferment damn near anything you can ferment meat i'm pretty sure you wouldn't want to do that but in either event that's the reason why so now the question is how okay um i use a, a traditional pickling crock mine is 3 gallons 
It is made by Ohio Stoneware. I bought it for $100 at a roadside gas station on the way back from our summer vacation in Colorado. It's a beautiful piece of stoneware. It's, again, three gallons, and it only cost 100 bucks. Now, you can do pickling in, in another way, and uh, we may get into that, but I want to talk about this crock. It has a water seal on it. So it's a, it's, this is from ohiostoneware.com. So you can go look at it, and it's a fermentation crock. Um, <clears throat> it has the body, and then it comes with a lid, and it comes with what's called weighing stones. So the way the lid works is that you'd have you need to go look at it, but you've got this this vase. It's not really a vase shape. It's a, it's a crock, so it's a cylinder. It's got a raised lip, and then when you put the the uh, lid on top of it, you pour water, and that's why that lip is raised up so that it can hold a little bit of water and not get into the pickling part of the, of the crock. What that does is it seals the whole damn thing off because <clears throat> you don't want all manner of stuff getting in there. Lactobacteria is over everything. It's on your skin. It's in your hair. It's on out in the food in the fields. It's everywhere. The, the amount of bacteria that you, the, the way you add the bacteria to this thing is you just add cucumbers. That that's it, man. It's, it's already there. But while it's doing its thing, you want that thing sealed. So as it ferments, CO2 is released. It bubbles out through the water seal because it's under pressure in there because it's like has enough pressure to push it out. But it's and it's always pressure positive in so far in relation to the outside pressure uh, in the vessel. So nothing gets in. That's the most important part. What you want in is already there. You just don't want more and other different kinds of stuff in there. Second thing is, is that after you've put all the food in, or the vegetables, cucumbers, or this is how they make sauerkraut too, <clears throat> you put the weighing stones on top of that and it keeps everything submerged because this is the critical part. You do this at room temperature and you'd be like going, how does it not rot? It's the brine, Okay. The brine is what brings this all together. <clears throat> Once all the spices and the cucumbers are in there, you pour brine to cover all the way above the weighing stone so that no food is poking out. And this is the beauty part of fermentation. It's so freaking simple. The food that's in the salt water is protected by the salt water. Things that are, generally speaking, things that are pathogenic, don't like salt water. They don't like it at all. And there's a, you know, I don't know how far, you know, what you guys want to know about biology, but the, um, if you were to look at the qualities of the human blood versus, uh, ocean water, aside from the fact that it carries red blood cells, it's almost identical. One of the reasons the lead, the, you know, theory of evolution suggests, or not theory of evolution, but it's suggested that we once lived in the ocean as little particles of, of stuff and then maybe turned into like sort of like a tadpole or got to a point where we could crawl out of the muck, right? But we always carry that seawater with us. And the seawater always protects us too, right? And <clears throat> it, still, it still does so insofar that 
if you're worried about something pathogenic getting in there, don't. You don't have to worry about it. Because if something and, and something pathogenic is going to get in there because we're coated with all kinds of crap that can get us sick if it gets a, if it gets a foothold, the salt water kills it. But lacto the the bacteria that ferment la, uh, lactose loves it and it thrives in it. And because that population is so huge, nothing else has a chance to compete. So that's what the brine is for. So what's the brine? Two tablespoons to anywhere between two and four tablespoons of kosher salt or Himalayan sea salt or something like that per quart of water. I use two tablespoons of salt per quart of brine or, or per quart of water to make my brine. And I make enough of it that I can fill up all that, that whole three gallon thing because no food can be poking out uh, of that, of that salt water because if it does, You've got a problem. Do not let the food peak up above the water line, okay? Make sure that it is completely and totally and always submerged in brine. Second part of this, set it and forget it. Literally, it takes seven days for me to do uh, 12 quarts of pickles in one shot. After seven days, it's pretty much done. You can let it go if you want. I've had one go for nine days. It ain't going to hurt nothing. But the longer you let it go, the more sour it's going to be. So here's the way that I do it. I go down to the to Walmart and I pick up bags of pickling cucumbers. You'll find them there. Uh, they're not the they're not, do not do this with the big cutting cucumbers. You need pickling cucumbers. Something that is maybe you know, no bigger than you put your like index and middle finger together and, and like, you don't even want them that fat. It'll work, but you want them like, like a finger and a half, you know, uh, in width and probably about like three, you know, three inches, four inches long somewhere around there. So look for those and get as many as you're, as you're going to do. It takes me, I think it took me 12 bags, maybe 15 bags to fill up my, my, uh, and I think I can't remember exactly. There's like, I think there's like, uh, eight cucumbers in each bag, somewhere between six and, and, and eight. And then, um, I get bags of peeled garlic because you need a lot of garlic for this. Um, more is better. If you don't like it that garlicky don't, but it's going to need some kind of garlic in there just because it's the way you make the pickle. One of the ways the, the pickle gets flavored. Um, you don't want to be chopping, you know, huge amounts of, of garlic and keep the cloves whole because once the pickling process is done, guess what? The garlic is pickled too. You have, you now have made pickled garlic as well as pickles and they're delicious. So just, you, you can munch on them and they've, they've already imparted all of their garlicky stuff to the pickles. So you don't have to worry about like, you know, garlic breath. It's all been, everything tastes basically the same. Okay, so um, you'll want a couple of bags of those. Like I don't know, I would I I put in like I think three, probably I want to say about two pounds of garlic of peeled garlic cloves in my last three gallon batch. So you'll need that. Now this here's the spices, just so you know. Um, it takes pepper, like black peppercorns, not ground, whole mustard seeds whole coriander seeds, whole dill seeds, whole allspice berries, uh, and then uh, 10 to 12 bay leaves, okay? 
And obviously you'll, you'll need salt, you'll need cucumbers, you'll need garlic cloves, blah, 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 blah. So, but the spice is pepper, mustard, coriander, dill, allspice, and bay leaves. Now, bay leaves are important for pickles because that's what's going to impart, help it to impart its kind of crunchy, crispy texture because it's uh, tannin. You need tannin for this to work. Grape leaves also work, but it's kind of hard to find grape leaves that are not soaked in olive oil and you don't want oil in this at all. Um, and some other things work. I just use bay leaves. So I, I just use bay leaves. That, that, that's all I want to say about that. If you want them hot, add crushed red pepper. I have kids. They hate heat right now. They don't like anything spicy. So I just leave it out. But for my three-gallon, I used a whole jar, two-ounce jar of peppercorns, a two-ounce jar of mustard seeds, a two-ounce jar of coriander seeds, two ounces of dill seeds, uh, two ounces of allspice berries and I like like a whole thing like a whole two ounce thing of bay leaves for this three gallon thing. The other thing that you will need is fresh dill and just walk, rinse it off, stems and all. Don't even chop it. Just throw it in there. Um, if you're going to do a big one, you need to make layers like a layer of cucumbers and then some some of the bay leaves and some of the pe- pepper and like basically some of the all the the pickling spice and some and then some dill and then make another layer and make it like a pancake all the way up to the top put your weighing stones on dose it with all the the uh, brine that you've made uh, two tablespoons per quart of water and two tablespoons of salt per quart of water and then make sure all the food the weighing stones are on and that everything is submerged again cannot stress the important the importance here. If one piece of food gets above that thing, that, that rim, it will rot. Okay. Now, does that mean the whole thing's dead? No, just take it out, throw that part away. If there's any scum on top of the, on top of the brine, just scrape it off with a spoon. It'll be fine. As long as it stays under the water, you're good. And then you like after seven days or, you know, uh, nine, I did nine one, you know, one time, Take them out, put them into clean, uh, like quart jars, the pickles and the garlic. You, you know, some of the other stuff is going to come along for the ride. It's like, you know, um, the, uh, dill, some of the dill and, and I, I usually try to strain it all off, but I've, I've gotten to the point now where I don't care because it's like, I'm not going to just reach down and eat the, the black pepper. Um, put it all in the jar and then use the brine that you pickled in to fill the jars all the way up to the top. Don't make the first, the mistake I did the first time I made pickles. I made pickles the very first time and my entire family thought they were delicious. And that was what, when, when I was pulling them out of the crock to test and I was, you know, we gave it to my daughter and gave it to my wife and they were like, Oh, this is awesome. My mistake. I poured off the brine, put the pickles in fresh water and then put those in the fridge. After a day, they're fine. They're not, contaminated or anything, but my daughter got a pickle and she goes, why aren't these good anymore? And that was my mistake. Use the pickling juice. I, I shouldn't even have to be saying this, but I made the mistake. So somebody else will make the mistake. Use the pickling brine that you use to pickle these pickles and use them in as the storage liquid in the quart jars and keep them in the fridge. These will start for, if you close them off and put them on a, on a like room temperature, they're going to continue to ferment and they're going to probably explode. You don't want that. That'd make a mess. Anyway, once they're in your fridge, you're done until, until they're gone. And it, like I said, it's quick. 
it helps. It supports your gut bacteria. It supports gut health. It's going to help you be able to make sure that your gut's able to deal with all the fiat food that we're forced to throw down our pie holes. And yeah, so um, you can do this without a crock. There is um, uh, there's a <clears throat> there's a way to do this inside of cork jars. You just do everything that I said, except you've got to figure out a way to keep like to like you put the pickles and all this uh, cucumbers and pickling spices and all that stuff in a quart jar. You fill it up with brine, two tablespoons of salt per quart of water. <clears throat> and you figure out somehow you you can actually use like a smaller jar to put on top uh, to and then you put a piece of cheesecloth and kind of tighten it down and then secure it to the neck of the quart jar with a rubber band. So you'd end up with underneath the, the cheesecloth would be the opening of your quart jar that's holding your pickles and then like a little jelly jar or something like that that fits inside that. And you tension that up and pull it down so that all the food is in the water. Because again, if any of the food is above the water, you're going to have to throw that one away because it will rot. That's what the brine's for. And then secure it with a rubber band, put it into the corner on the corner of your like kitchen cabinet out of the way, come back in seven days, pick a uh, pickle out. If it's good to go, then take disassemble it and keep all the pickles in the, in the thing that you, the quart jar that you used to pickle it, put a lid on it, put it in the refrigerator and enjoy mine. Go pretty fast. I'm going to, I, uh, I had 12 quarts. I'm down to four quarts of pickles after a couple of weeks. So when I get down to two quarts or like I've, I use a two, uh, like single one, single two quart jars and it's a one jar, but it's two quarts instead of two separate quart jars. When I get down to one, that's my signal when I need to go make more pickles because it's going to take seven days for that son of a bitch to go down. And I don't want to be caught with my britches down when my daughter and my wife are, are craving pickles because they eat like pickles every single day. So that's going to do it for Cooking Corner. All right, so Terrible Joke Corner is brought to you today by at TrogMD on Twitter, who says, have you ever tried Wookie meat? It's really chewy. That's some high quality bad joke right there, man. That cringe, it's got the cringe, it's got the short and sweet, it's got the cadence, it's got everything a bad joke needs. Wow, that was horrible. But thank you, Trog MD. And and again, I've got like people are sending me jokes now. I'm like, it's great. I love it when you guys send me jokes. Makes me laugh, makes my day. Okay, so it's Wednesday. We're surrounded by FUD. We've got weird price stuff hanging. It's just hanging around ten thousand. Uh, like I said, I think it's whales splashing around. You've got the whole Craig Wright nonsense going on. And it also along with that, I, I spoke earlier about changing narratives. Yeah, that narrative is starting to change over there with the uh, Craig Wright, Calvin Air crowd. So, you know, be aware. Yes, I know we shouldn't even be talking about it. But again, there is some entertainment value in it. And, you know, every, although 
it's actually kind of a slow, it's been slow news, you know, newsy kind of in a newsy kind of way. Bitcoin's kind of a wasteland right now. Um, not really sure how to think about that, but at least it's not tragedy and tragic crap going on all the time. So anyway, um, watch your narratives, watch the narratives of other people, keep your shit in your same lane, trudge on low time preference, stack sats, all the memes, Bitcoin fixes this. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.